Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Uh, we get ready to talk some NBA basketball with Brian Mahoney. He's with Associated Press. He joins me now on the podcast. It's uh, it's interesting, Brian, when you when you look at the predicament that we're all in. You know, you try to find something to do to occupy your time. And uh, you get the opportunity to write, and I get the opportunity to do this podcast. But we're talking about something we really enjoy, and that's NBA basketball. Let me ask you right off the top. Is there any concern that you may have as to whether or not there's a danger that the NBA season may not take off? I, I think everyone honestly has it. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe that they're following all the right steps as best as they can. Um, you know, I do believe in, in the leadership they have, both on the player side and the league office side. And, uh, so, I mean, I'm hopeful, but I don't think anyone really is fully confident or sure. Uh, you know, we've seen time and time again with this virus that, you know, when you think maybe things are going one way, it goes another. Uh, everyone is kind of learning this as, as they go. And, um, yeah, there, there's definitely concern that, that uh, you know, hopefully we can get it done and they can get it done. But no one really knows for sure, and it's going to be that way for a while, I think. Even, when they, even if they get restarted, I don't think anyone's going to know for sure they'll get around to finishing. But particularly when, when you every day you read, um, you read about, uh, you know, another player that's dropping out, another player that's not going to be ready to go. Um, and it just dawned on me. I think I had you down for 1 o'clock, and I called you now. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, it's funny. That's why I didn't answer the phone. I'm like, I don't know who that is. Would it be a problem if I called you back at 1? I'm sorry to do this to you. It, it, would, it would not be a problem at all, honestly. I appreciate <laughs> it. I'll call you right back. We all make mistakes, you know? <laughs> so I'll catch you at 1. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I never did that. I never did that. This is the first time that I have done that, and it it happens. Uh, I made a mistake, and I'm rectifying the mistake. Hello. And we come on with my man Otis Livingston. Otis, Howard, David. How you doing? I, I just made a tragic mistake, but I managed to. Thanks God. Thank God for your text saying you were here, and I said, "Oh my God, I was supposed to have Otis on at noon, and Brian Mahoney of Associated Press on at one." And instead, I called Brian, but we cleared the situation up, and we now have you in place. All right. Good. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's funny. It's not happened to me yet. But, you know, you get to a certain age, you start forgetting stuff. Ah, oh, come on. Man. No, that's all right. I'm just, I'm just kidding around. Look, you're in a, in a hotbed of sports uh, in New York City as the anchor of sports for Channel 2 in New York. And 
a lot of things are starting to bubble now. The baseball teams are back on the field practicing. When you first saw that piece of video where John Carlos Stanton hits uh, Tanaka in the face, in the head with a with a with a line drive, uh, how many times did you cringe? Oh man, that that was uh, unbelievable. It was scary, you know. Uh, we're just getting it back, baseball back, and, and and that happens like right off the bat. No no pun intended. But I mean, a lot of people were asking why wasn't there the L shaped net there? But they don't do that during simulated games. So uh, you know that that was a possibility that it was going to happen. Now we saw yesterday that they did have the L shape. Uh, so I guess it is a possibility that they're able to, to put the L shape out there during the uh, simulated game. But uh, I guess you adapt and you kind of learn that, man, this thing is serious, you know. Um, he's uh, He's been released, of course. He wrote the bike for 15 to 20 minutes yesterday, so he's not really showing any much signs of the uh, concussion uh, that he suffered. Uh, so that's pointing in the right direction. But, man, that was scary. Yeah, and you know what? I'm watching the video. I'm watching your, your newscast last night, and they're showing the Mets, and there's no screen in front of the pitcher. Did they not see? <laughs> did they not see that video? I guess not, man. <laughs> they're, they're, living, they're living dangerously out there. I mean, uh, what probably happened was that was uh, so so that was uh, Jake Degrom. I right. think that was the day before. Oh, okay. So it was probably yeah, it was probably around the same time. But no, actually. Mosquero happened on Saturday, so yeah, they should have known better. Than yeah, that. I mean, I think everybody around the league would kind of figure that out. Now you might want to change the rules and, and, and put that thing up there just for safety. I'm looking at you know things are starting to happen all at once, and look, I'm usually a very positive thinking person, Otis, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of pessimism running through my brain right now because I'm concerned as to what we're so anxious to get sports live and ready to go that I don't think we're fully paying attention to what the Dr. Fauci and a lot of these doctors and scientists are saying. Uh, we're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, are you concerned that, A, it may not start, whether it's baseball, the NBA, or the NFL, and, B, if it does start, could they stop it almost immediately? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be the latter. I think they're all going to try to start. Unless, I mean, you know, you're talking uh, the basketball is going to start a little bit later. Uh, let's see, the, the hockey's August 1st. So they may see, you know, what's going on with these other sports and, and maybe not even start it. I'm, I'm just really nervous. I just think that we as a society, we as a country, we want our sports, we want the normalcy of it all, but at what cost? You know, I, I think we are kind of jumping the gun, you know, as far as getting these things started without taking all the uh, necessary precautions. And I know every league is trying to do so trying to put bubble things in place, trying to put protocols in place, but you're still seeing guys that are that are, are, are coming up positive and, and being in these environments, being, being quarantined. And it's just, it's just uh, I'm just really nervous. Obviously, this is our, you know, our livelihood sports. Um, so I would love to get back to work and covering them in whatever capacity we're going to be able to do that. But at what cost? I want to make sure that everything's safe and that when we start, we don't, Stop, you know, uh, because, you know, Dr. Fauci, as you were talking about, is, is saying that we're not out of the woods yet. There, there's going to probably be a, a bounce back to it or a spike at some point. Uh, he was saying around uh, late October, November type thing. That's why baseball wasn't advised to go into November. They had, You know, they were advised to have their World Series done by, you know, the end of October. So um, it, it, this is unprecedented, as you know, Howard, and, and 
So now we got to sit and watch and take in all the information that we can and try to make the best decisions um, that are possible. Well, talking with Otis Livingston, the sports anchor at Channel 2 in New York, it's not only the pandemic that we're dealing with, but it's the, it's the social uh, outbursts, the protesting, uh, people wanting, uh, wanting what's right. I get all of that. And you as an African-American, uh, you're particularly sensitive to this. And from an athlete's point of view, have you talked to any athletes in the city about the effect on them and, and what they're feeling? I have not uh, talked to many of them. I talked to the McCourty twins from uh, uh, the New England Patriots, and they're talking about using their their platform, man. You know, and, and just uh, getting out there and, and doing what they can, you know, to spread the message uh, of racial equality. Um, I think uh, you know we've heard from a lot of the, the NBA players. You know, we were talking. I I, I, don't, I can't remember if, if you and I were talking about Kyrie last time. Yeah. You know, Kyrie is being the guy out front in the NBA, but he speaks for a lot of those guys, you know. Um, you know, I think it's been been kind of kind of neat that African-American athletes, African-American uh, television uh, celebrities or, you know, uh, sports commentators are, have been able to tell their story of how that impacts them as well. You know, I think uh, once you get to a certain level, people think that it, it doesn't affect you, you know, that, that you're not... You, you know, and I think that was the main thing about Colin Kaepernick too. Was here's a guy who was raised in a, in a white household, uh, a man who, from the outside looking in, they think that you know he had everything. So why is he talking about people that are oppressed? Well, you can speak for people that don't have a voice. You know, that's what he was trying to do, um, and I think that's that's been good that we've seen that kind of come out as well. Um, and the rest of the world is, is kind of listening to those stories now, whereas before maybe they didn't want to believe or believe that that was really happening. I, you know, <clears throat> the Kaepernick case is interesting to me. Uh, I saw what he did the first time. Uh, I didn't take it as a disrespect to the flag. I think he was yeah. sending a message. I, I understood the message. It was clear to me. But then when you get the pushback from the Oval Office and uses yeah. the term SOB, and wouldn't you like to fire them? Uh, I mean, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think, you're, I think you're carrying us down the wrong road. Right? Yeah, definitely was. I mean, you know, and I think it, it, it kind of, in a weird way, galvanized some people, too, at that point. You know, at least the owners kind of came out and, and were, now that it, it affects their product, now that it affects their players in general with that, with that type of terminology, now they want to stand with their players on the field. They want to go arm in arm and stuff like that. When, when in the first place you really weren't listening to the message, you know that was really being conveyed. And, and, and for me, it was pretty apparent when someone says on a microphone, and you can't say it's taken out of context. He says it's about police brutality again. Da, 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 da. So it's not. I don't see how that was misconstrued. I just feel like a lot of people. Uh, used other diversionary tactics and, and the flag and military to make it not about the real subject. Well, I, so we're caught between a rock and a hard place here. We've got the uh, pandemic to deal with. We've got the issues uh, that, that affect us every day, whether you're white or black. And it's interesting to note that the, the makeup of the protesters, I mean, it's just about 50-50, white and black. Right, right. And I, I think that's been encouraging. You know, that, that's really encouraging um, because that's what African-Americans 
have always asked for is, is allies in, in this fight for racial equality. You know, um, hear our story, listen to our story. It's true. This is what's happening. So let's try to figure out a way that we can make the situation better because our country is supposed to be justice for all, equality, and all those sort of things that it, it, it stands for. So let's make it that. Let's do our best to make it in, in, in tandem, make it live up to those creeds. You know, it's interesting to me, the take on the NFL back then, three years ago, uh, when uh, Colin Kaepernick clearly was one of the top 64 quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he could be no worse than the backup on three quarters of the team in the league. But now here it is three years later, and Roger Goodell has basically said that he deserves a chance. Well, where was Roger Goodell three years ago? There you go. Well, I mean, let, let's face it, Roger Goodell is, is, is for the owners. He speaks for them, he, you know, pretty much. And I know there's, you know, his, his reach is the overall NFL. But when it comes right down to it, that's who he's getting paid by. That's who he's, you know, uh, I think, taking orders from at times and going lockstep with. So it's been, hell, man, what, a, what an awakening. You know, three years later, you know, everyone is, is talking about Black Lives Matter and, and they believe this and they believe that. And, and, man, if they could have just done that back then, how far ahead or, or you know, and, and we're seeing it. How are the sports are right out front? I mm. mean, it seems like a lot of people are listening to their sport athletes on this than some civil rights leaders take on it, you know? That's who the, their heroes are. So if we had had that this situation maybe three, four years ago when it first started, who knows where we, we could be in the movement. Well, one thing i got to say, LeBron James has been out front from day one. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, he's, he, uh, uh, let's face it, he's the best of his time. Michael Jordan yeah. was the best of his time, but Michael Jordan was not as much of an activist. Uh, although right. recently, Jordan has been vocal. I mean, I, I believe that Michael Jordan has done some things probably behind the scenes that we definitely don't know about and, and things like that. But as far as being out front and, and vocal about it, LeBron James is, 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 is the man, you know. Um, he seems to be cut from the cloth of, of the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's and Jim Brown and Bill Russell from back in the day, Muhammad Ali to a certain extent. Um, as far as using his voice and, and putting, I mean, because... He has some things on the line, too. I mean, although his legacy is pretty much intact as far as, you know, where his place is in history. Um, I mean, he, there's people that take shots at him. There's people that, that frown upon him. and So he has things that he's putting out, uh, putting out there that, are, that, that make him a target. So he's willing to do that. And other NBA players and now other athletes are, are following suit and, and standing on their own, you know, two feet and saying what they have to say. Otis Livingston, the sports anchor at Channel 2 in New York. Let's stay with the Nets for a second. <clears throat> uh, Jock Vaughn is an interim coach for the moment. Uh, are you hearing that he has got a very good chance, better than 50-50 chance to keep the title and make it permanent? And does he have, the most important thing is, does he have the backing of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? Ah, that's a good question. I've not, I've, uh, not heard anything as far as the, the backing. I think it's just... It's, it's so early in the in the process with them. I mean, this is the, both of their first years there. I, I know they probably have a a, a, a semblance of what they like in him or not. Um, I think he has, you know, I think he's about 50-50. Um, there's going to be some names out there that they're going to be able to kind of sift through. And I, I think that he's definitely got a, 
prove some things down here. I know he's shorthanded, but they're going to be watching him down here at the restart if they restart, if they go through the season and see what type of coach that he's going to be. Um, but from what I hear, he's got a lot of uh, great attributes. I think that he's a, a likable guy. I think he has a, a, a great personality. And I think that uh, he has a, a great chance to nail down the job, whether he does or not. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but we'll be watching down there in Orlando. Well, by contrast, the Knicks have 11 candidates to take, <laughs> to take over as the head coach. I've only heard Jacques Vaughn. I haven't heard any other names of you. As far as the, the Nets? Yes. Yeah, that, that's pretty much what I've heard so far. I mean, but you gotta you got to believe that they're going to have a nice pick of guys that, are, that they're going to run through there because you got two of the top players in the NBA coming back next year. So, that, you know, who wouldn't want to coach those guys? So... Um, as far as right now, yeah, I haven't heard anything as far as them interviewing other guys, but I think it's going to be a, a, a pretty uh, coveted job. Well, it seems that Tom Thibodeau is the odds-on favorite to get the Nick job because of his prior relationship with Leon Rose, the new president. But then right. you read, well, you know, Jason Kidd is, uh, has got a, a little bit of a connection with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and maybe the Knicks bring in Jason Kidd, and when Giannis is a free agent, yada, yada, yada. We've heard the same song and dance about the Knicks forever, right? Oh, yeah, man. Just try to connect those dots, you know. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I, I think with the recent moves that they made with Leon Rose, with uh, World Wide West, um, also some guys in the scouting department, um, I just believe that if James Dolan steps back a little bit, let these guys do their job, let them do. Let them be the voices. Let them be the faces that they can attract them because that's what it's all about. Relationships, you know, um, and 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 being able to sell your product to people who are interested. A lot of big time players are not even interested. You know what I mean? They won't even get the interview. So if these guys can go about their business and do what they do and use those relationships for being agents and being consultants, etc., you know, they might be able to do some things. I, but yeah, I've heard that before about. You know, the logical move, you know, this is a no-brainer, and then it doesn't happen, you know, especially with the Knicks. So we'll see what happens. Um, I, you know, I, I think, first of all, if, if they're going to do kid, they need to want him to be the coach no matter what. Not necessarily if he can bring up that would be an added bonus, obviously, but they got to start getting guys in there that are just going to do the job. You know, and let's face it, Jason Kidd might even be a candidate for the Nets job. Yeah, it could be. Um, which is interesting, um, <laughs> because didn't he force his way out of there to go to Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess time heals all wounds, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, the, the, the bedfellows that, that are made through relationships, through prior relationships, through, uh, you know, what's hot right now. You can forget about things that have happened before, because I thought, hey, wow, here's a former great net player who, who was, you know, helped them get to two NBA finals and was, you know, highly revered and everything, and then he does that, and I thought it was over. Well, I guess not. Let me uh, go back to the Knicks. Um, Tom Thibodeau, I mentioned, is the, is the favorite to get the job. One of the names mentioned also was Mike Woodson. Well, well, you don't have to go back too far to realize that Mike Woodson won 54 games before Phil Jackson fired him, and he's the right. last Nick coach to win a playoff series, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, you screwed up by hiring Phil Jackson, who was unqualified for his job, and basically, yeah. and, and it's fair to say, I think, Otis, 
that Phil Jackson set this franchise back at least three years. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, he, I mean, James Dolan was enamored with him. You know, Phil Jackson, the coach. You know, not necessarily the – because who knew that he, what, what he was going to be in that capacity. So he gave him the, you know, the kingdom. And, he, yeah, he set the organization back. And, and a lot of the former players – a lot of the players from around the league, a lot of the analysts are saying that Mike Woodson shouldn't have never been fired in the first place. Right. So, you know, can they right that wrong? Will they give that another opportunity to, to come in and, and, and coach the Knicks and try to get them back to the playoffs? Like you said, he's the last guy to do it. You know, he's got a shot to do it. On, but I'm hearing that Thibodeau's got the, got the lead so far. Uh, Kenny Atkinson as well. I think he's in, in the running. And that would be interesting to see him go, you know, to, to the other borough to – to uh, continue his career. Well, Otis, let's let's talk about uh, about um, uh, the the current state of the NBA and the beginning games. They already come out with the schedule, and I looked at the schedule. I don't know if you did, but two things jumped off the page. Number one, opening day of the uh, of this the games in the bubble in Orlando has got Utah and New Orleans. Hmm, who plays with New Orleans? Zion Williamson. The same day, the Clippers play the Lakers. <laughs> oh boy! Talk yeah. about talk about leading with your trump card. That's right. They didn't bury the headline. I mean, <laughs> this is uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting to see. You know how how fast some of these teams can regroup. You know, after having the season uh, halted like that, see how fast they're gonna be able to, uh, uh, you know, just gel back together. I'm interested to see. You know, arrested LeBron. That's going to be very interesting now. You know, he's, he's up there and when you're 17 right now, 16, 17, uh, wow. Now the guy's rested. You know, we're going to see what he's going to be able to do with Anthony Davis and the guys that, you know, Dwight Howard says he's going to be down there now. You know, I want to see what JR is going to be able to do. And, and, and that crosstown rivalry that they have with the, with the Clippers, you know, that's probably going to be, you know, the, the winner of that is going to probably be the one that comes out of the, uh, out of the West. It's actually a cross arena rivalry they have. Exactly, they share the same thing. Away games are not very far. Yeah, and I think that's that's an interesting factor here. <clears throat> Nobody has the home court advantage. Nobody right. has the crowd advantage. Uh, yep. You're out there to play games, and uh, for teams that uh, you know, first of all, inviting Washington to this party is a little silly. Uh, yeah. Because they don't, they just don't belong. But in, in the West, yeah. you know, vying for that eighth spot. Um, with with Memphis, Portland, New Orleans, Sacramento, San Antonio, uh, there's a little bit of a battle here because they're so close together. But the other thing that's interesting to me, Otis, is that if for whatever, if you get to a point where there's no way you can catch the team in the eighth spot, uh, you're basically mathematically eliminated. You got to continue to still play the games because it may mean something to the other team. Uh, right. So you know it, that that's a, it's a little. 
that's it's a little odd. Look, nothing surprises me in sports anymore. But I'll tell I'll tell you one thing that did surprise me: Patrick Mahomes getting a half a billion dollars. <laughs> Oh, yeah? And, yeah, and this was, uh, you know, obviously before everything came down and stuff like that. We're just, we're just talking about how he was getting along in the uh, virtual offseason and everything like that. And, and just, you can just see the pride, you know what I mean, in, in, in him. And not just the athlete, but as a person that he was and what he was able to grow up, you know, and, and become, obviously. But he was just saying that, you know, my son just, he just wants to be great. He wants to be the best ever. So he's just going to continue to work. You know, you know, he's not one that rests on his laurels. You know, second year MVP, third year Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP, and now this contract. You know, and I think that's pretty scary for the rest of the NFL. Is this guy's not going to sit back and, and be, become a fat cat? You know what I mean? Once he's got got that, of course he's got to go out and earn it and, and, and stay healthy. So I think it's about 140. You know, uh, against injury, so he's got at least that much. But there's no reason to believe that he's not going to play long enough and and play well enough and earn that money and, and, and make himself quite a legacy. Well, he's already off to a great start. Yeah, he's got the richest contract in the history, history of sports, surpassing yeah. Mike Trout. And yeah. uh, I think it was $505 million, of which $477 million is guaranteed. What did he do with the other $40 million? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take a, a loan or a <laughs> I mean, this is, it's incredible, but I mean, he's, He's the best player in the league right now. I know yep. Lamar Jackson got the got the MVP last year, and he had a sensational year. But I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback and the best player in the league right now. And, uh, you know, 25 years old, so no reason to believe that anything's going to change. He's got to just, just, like his dad said, just keep on working and keep on being humble and uh, going out there and trying to, to uh, win more Super Bowls and more MVPs and, and, and just – have a time of his life. Look, it's it's up to neither one of us to do the math, but doesn't this yeah. kind of handcuff Kansas City in terms of their cap? I, I don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think that he because because what I'm hearing is that it was a as, as preposterous as it sounds, a cap friendly deal mm-hmm. that it's not gonna gonna hurt them that much and, and those and, and they got guys already in, in in tow that they're gonna have obviously have to pay but there's guys that want to be there so who knows maybe they can be the model of, of the New England Patriots going forward guys that want to be there that maybe get the hometown discounts or, or play for a little less because they know they have a chance to win and things of that nature so you gotta kind of figure out that they wouldn't just do that realizing that when you pay someone that much money you need championships that go along with that so I'm sure that they thought about all those things and, and put some wheels in motion let me ask you about the, to localize this a little bit the Giants and the Jets <clears throat> uh, both had they had one common area they needed to address and that was offensive line um, in, in both cases they've got two young quarterbacks that uh, have a tremendous upside uh, and, and and neither team Giants or the Jets are figuring to win their respective divisions. With the Jets, uh, we heard when Tom Brady left, ah, you know, now the Patriots are ripe to be overtaken, but you still have to worry about Buffalo. Well, now Cam Newton has got the Patriot uniform on, and I, yeah, I mean, anytime you got a team coached by Belichick, 
you got to give them the respect. And they're still the team to beat in the division, but what do you say? Yeah, I believe that too. That, that definitely changed. I mean, it was up in the air with Jared Stidham as the um, – as the you know the guy that was going to be the starting quarterback and everything like that, um, so now that they have Cam, I, that puts him right back in the driver's seat to me. Um, they have they have a great defense, you know. If Cam can return to any sort of form that he was before his injuries the past couple of seasons, you know, they're, they're in the driver's seat. You know, you got Miami, you got Buffalo, and you got the Jets looking up at them and trying to figure out how they're going to knock them off. And, and kind of keep each other at bay because it, at first it really looked like the, the vision was wide open. I'll be honest. move kind of changes that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, when, when Robbie Anderson went free agent to Carolina, didn't bother me too much if I was if I were a Jet fan uh, because while I thought he was a good receiver, he doesn't make me forget Jerry Rice now. I mean, you know, he, he's a good receiver, and I think what the Jets did immediately filling the spot with Brashad Perryman uh, and then drafting Mims. Uh, and then you got uh, uh, Crowder. Uh, you got some good tight ends. Uh, the running back situation, uh, obviously, Le'Veon Bell's got to bounce back from a, a lackluster season. And then uh, the, you look at this team and you say to yourself, well, the key's still the offensive line with all the guys they brought in in free agency and the draft. Um, we'll, we'll find out if the offensive line is that much better than it was because I think if it was, I wouldn't. And maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but I don't think the Jets are that far away. Nah, I don't think so either. I mean, Sam Darnold has to be upright. You know, he has to stay away from Mono as well. But he's gotta, they got to protect him. That is the key right there because he does have some weapons that can't play. It's not like, you know, like you said, they're not going to, you, you know, jump off the page after anything. I mean, except for Le'Veon Bell, maybe. Uh, Perriman, of course. Um, the tight end, um, Herndon. Uh, from my, yeah, from Miami, Chris Herndon. You know, I, I like him. If he can stay healthy, you know, I think he gives him an opportunity because he's, he's really athletic, versatile. He's He can make it happen. So I'd love to see, you know, a healthy Sam, Sam Darnold behind a good offensive line that's going to protect him because he's shown the ability to make great throws. He's shown the ability to throw across his body and, and do some things that make you go, huh, wow, okay. You know, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, if they can if they can shore up that offensive line and, and, and really kind of tell. This is the third year for him to kind of tell if he's going to make that jump. Uh, and then it's, they, it's such an interesting offseason, though. Sure. You know what I mean? Not yep. being able to, to be with his guys for, for a young quarterback, it's got to be a little tough. spoke to Adam Gase, and he was saying that he's handling it the best. He was handling it the best way that he could. And he was very uh, into it as far as the, the Zoom meetings and, and position uh, uh, meetings that they had, uh, that he was being a real leader and uh, that he felt like he was still going to get something huge, you know, out of what we are, are calling the new reality. Well, and then they also pick up the ageless Frank Gore. And, and Frank Gore yes. is, is, is the forever professional. Uh, what yeah, he, bring, he, brings, yeah, he brings leadership to the locker room, no doubt about it. I'm not, just not sure what kind of numbers they're going to get out of him. Yeah, you know, he'll just spell him, you know, spell uh, Le'Veon Bell. You know, and, and I think more of his value is just what you said, that leadership. You know, he's a guy, he's an Adam Gates guy having played for him in Miami a couple years ago. Uh, so he's got a, one of his guys in the locker room. Everybody reveres uh, Frank Gore 
if not, you know, just for his longevity to be able to stay around as long as he has. You know, I mean, when he was, I think it was in high school, he had a devastating knee injury. And here he is playing all these years, you know, it's pretty, it's a, it's a crazy testament, you know. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> you got two coaches with two different discussions. You got Joe Judge in his first year at, off the Belichick tree. And then you got Adam Gase, who you mentioned. And there were those that think that Adam Gase is on the hot seat. I'm not so sure because I think Woody Johnson's going to have a say in it. Um, and when he comes back from his ambassadorship, uh, I, don't, I don't know that you look at the Jets and say, they may be improved, but I'm not sure the record's going to show it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can can be around the same, but you can show improvement. I believe that you, especially at certain positions that you need to, uh, or that that need improvement. Um, I I think the hot seat part about it is fans right now. I think a lot of fans don't like him. I think a lot of fans are are not sold on him being the the, the man for the job, and a lot of that is just personal, you know. Um, I think he's, he was hamstrung at some points last year. Avery Williamson didn't even play last year. C.J. Mosley was – he only played two games last year. Uh, those are big parts of the defense, you know. And, and then you have, you know, Sam coming out of the box with Mono. Or, you know, it, it, he, he was up against a lot last year. And in a division that was tougher, that was, you know, Patriots, that was Bills, that, and, and they're and – they're, their overall schedule was tough, too. Yeah, so. it, it is tough again. Um, but, yeah. you know, look, the defense I thought was pretty good. I think Greg Williams did a very good job. Um, I think they need a bounce back here from Quinn and Williams up front. Um, oh, yeah. You know, as a third overall pick in the draft. Uh, I think they got to they gotta come to grips some way, shape, or form with Jamal Adams because he's the best player on the team. The contract discussions have been duly noted. Uh, you yeah. don't know if they're getting anything done or not, but I, I don't know. I'm looking at the Darrell Revis thing all over again. Oh, man. Don't want to revisit that, man. But this, this is what I think. They have them under control for, what, two more years. Right. Um, they're not going to trade him unless they get something that get overwhelm him. He's one of those guys that when he's there, he's going to be the same guy because he, he, he wants to win, because he wants to be great. You know what I mean? So I think while there may be some pressure to get something done right now, it's not really that much pressure because you have that control over him. You have him under contract, and he's not going to be, I don't think, I don't believe, knowing Jamal as, as little as I do, I don't think that he's going to be a disruption as far as not going out and doing his job. I just don't believe that. I think he's, he has a goal that he wants to be an all-pro every single year. He wants to be in the Hall of Fame. And you can't take years off in a, in a contract situation where you're disgruntled and not live up to your ability and talent. You can't do that and go to the, into the Hall of Fame. I just don't believe that. Yeah, well, plus the fact you know, we both agree that he's outperformed his contract. Uh, yes, and, yes. And, and I don't know how, you, how cooler heads prevail here. It'll be interesting to see. Let, let me jump off the gridiron and back onto the baseball playing field. Uh, a lot of people think the Yankees are the favorite to win it all. Uh, the addition of Garrett Coles says a lot to that. Um, everybody seems to be healthy again. Aaron Judge seems to be healthy. Hicks, uh, Stanton. The, I mean, the, this is a loaded batting order when they're all healthy. Uh, 
but they weren't last year. And Aaron Boone did a great job just putting it together with bailing wire and scotch tape. So now if they're, he- if they're healthy, they're the team to beat, I believe. I believe so, too. I mean, they have, they have the pitching. You know, like you said, the addition of, of Garrett Cole just, just upped that. I mean, that, that was, you know, a great get. Um, and the thing is, is going to be health, especially in a 60-game season now. They're sprint. You know, you can't have, you know, uh, guys, big guys that are going down. But what they showed last year was that over the long haul, they had the Mike Forge, Mike Talkman, uh, you know, guys like that that came out of nowhere that were able to uh, be that band-aid and then become solid parts of the team that you look forward to watching and kind of con- started counting on. You know, you got Luke Boyd as well. You got all these guys that have gotten some experience in the, you know, in the big game, on the big stage. So now they're going to be able to, you know, uh, build off of that this year and be steady parts of the team, whether they're in the starting lineup or not. Well, they, they, it looks like they, they lost LeMayu for the short term as he's gotten the virus. Uh, but they get Andujar back, who, who missed a lot of last year. So he, conceivably, he could start at third base. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, just uh, yesterday, Aaron Judge, you know, said that he, he deemed himself ready for opening day. And all during the offseason, it was like, what's going on with Judge? We haven't heard anything about him, you know. <laughs> and now, you know, apparently he's going to be ready to go and, and of course, the late start pushed, you know, being pushed back helped help that cause. Uh, but if the big man is, is is back to his form and can stay healthy, and, and John Carlos Stanton can not only stay healthy but come through in the clutch and, and do some of the things that he was, you know, paid to do when he was in, uh, you know, Miami, Florida, whatever. But uh, you know, these, these guys they, they have a loaded lineup, and we're going to see if they're going to be able to sustain that and, and live up to all that potential in the sixty games. And, and then in the playoffs, of course. Let, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the Mets. Um, the Mets are in a tough division. Obviously, you got the defending champion Washington Nationals there. You got the Phillies. You, you, got, a, you got a tough division. Um, and, and I think they've got – we don't know about Syndergaard, but this is still a pretty good baseball team that will contend. What's almost equally important is listening to the discussion about who's going to own this team. And yeah. I mean, we've heard A. Rod, Jennifer Lopez. We've heard Cohen. We've heard all these names. What, do you know anything that's different than what we're hearing? No, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. You know, uh, I think the fans are are wanting uh, Cohen because he has so much money um, that he has. Uh, you know, um, like from the beginning. I mean, they seem to have a deal with him, so a lot of fans are pulling from him. Uh, I think you know. Then, then you got the J-Lo, A-Rod situation. Um, A-Rod, of course, knowing baseball, having, you know, been, been, a, been a savant, you know, on and off the field as far as that goes. Um, I think a lot of people were, are interested in, in him being the, in those guys and, and that group owning the mess. Um, it's just pretty much anybody but the Wilpons. That's what the, the sentiment is. It, it's time to turn the corner. And start making improvements with the with the, the roster, with the organization, and, and start winning again. Well, we're both paid for opinions, <clears throat> and <laughs> when I hear A. Rod's name, it bothers me, and I'll tell you why. It bothers me because he's an admitted cheater. Yeah. He was suspended for sixty games. He admitted yeah. using steroids. Um, 
his chances of getting in the Hall of Fame, we think, are pretty slim, along with Clemens and Bonds and the rest. If you, first of all, it bothers me when I see him on Sunday Night Baseball because I see him on the screen and I'm going cheater. Uh, yeah. He owns the Mets. I'm going to think cheater. Uh, yeah. Am I am I being too hard on him? I don't think so. I think a lot of people are, are feeling that same way. I know I feel a little bit like that, you know, because how can you go from the outhouse to the penthouse and, and, uh, of your own doing? Admitted cheater, you know, and and for I mean that that's what a heck of a, a, a rehab job he did on his uh, persona, you know. I mean there was I mean there was a time where this guy he went from being a beloved as a player when everybody thought he was clean to the worst thing in the sport, and now he's resurrected that you know uh, what what people think about him. You know, it's, it's been a weird transformation to watch, like you said, on Sunday Night Baseball. Speaking about baseball and, and, and again, revered by people, it's, it's, it has been strange. And I think about that every time that I see a period. It, it's bothering Not even tr- in a baseball setting. Not even in, in baseball setting. Yeah, it's troublesome because, first of all, he didn't need it. Uh, he was a great right. player before. Same thing with right. Barry Bonds. He didn't need it. Uh, Palmero, same thing. Roger Clemens, you go down the list. These guys that used, they didn't need it. They were great before. And so I understand you need the edge. I get that. But, I mean, when you're breaking the rules, come on. I mean, we're so hard on Pete Rose, but we're not as hard on Alex Rodriguez. I don't know. I'm missing something. No, you're not missing anything. It's, 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 it's a valid point. It really is. And this guy was given... God-given ability out of this world and then try to accentuate it, you know? Put it over the top, I guess. I mean, and so, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It's, it's, it's troublesome. It's, it's upsetting. It's all those things. Let me ask you this. As a guy who covers the sport for a living, uh, and, you, and you get out from behind the desk and you go do your stuff in the field, when you interview Athlete X and he's got a checkered past, as you're interviewing them, and you have you've prepared some questions you want to ask, but usually you come up with a question in the middle of the interview that you didn't have written down, but it came to mind and you associated with a previous answer. Is there a, a part of you that as you're doing this interview, you're thinking to yourself, do I have to be careful uh, and, and, and not deal with the issue at hand? Or do you think, you know, maybe I need to sidestep it a little bit? And I know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Well, I just feel like when it's when it's appropriate, obviously, you know, yeah, you have to ask the questions. I'm not out. I'm not on a witch hunt or anything like that, trying to, you know, expose guys or anything like that. But when it's appropriate and it's 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 timely, yeah, you got to ask the question. That's your job. Like you said, you're being you're being paid to do that. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I mean, it is a delicate situation. It's a delicate balance that you have to have to live, and, and, and sometimes, you know, guys don't get subsequent interviews because they are asking those kind of questions, and, and someone may have a grudge against them for asking those kind of questions. But that's what you got to do. That's your job. That's your responsibility to the public because a lot of them are asking that same question. You're out in front of the public, okay? Yeah. You're walking down the street. People know you. They see you on television. 
Uh, how many times have you been stopped saying, hey, I saw you the other night. I question you. You stink. <laughs> You know, it's amazing to me when they bring in, like if the station is, is, is slipping in the ratings a little bit and they bring in a consultant. And so people put on Channel 2, A for the news, B for the weather, C for the sports. How come the sports yeah. guy is always the one who gets fired? I don't know, man, <laughs> but I'm hoping not to be that guy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think what happens a lot of times is, is obviously the, the news anchors they are the ones that, you know, people kind of rely on the most. They, 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 you know, they're the ones like the, uh, the staples, you know, the ones that when they, when something tragic happens, they go right to these guys. That's what they trust. Well, yeah. When, when something happens here, you need to come to me too. <laughs> you know, I'm doing, I'm doing a great job. I'm doing, you know, a, a public service as well and trying to get the best, um, um, angle of, of what's going out on the field of play and, and behind the scenes and things like that. Uh, you know, we got goofy weather guys out there, you know, so they kind of endear themselves to the public. How, how long have you been to Channel 2? Uh, this will be 11 years. I, um, well, obviously I was born and raised in New York, so I've been watching the news forever. Uh, and I'll go back to the days of Warner Wolf and the days of Len Berman when he was at Channel 2. And, yep. and so, the, I mean, the history of Channel 2 is pretty strong, both in, yep. in the new. Let me ask you this. For a normal 6 o'clock newscast, when do you arrive at work? Uh, 2.30. Okay. And at 2.30 and you walk in, is there a discussion in the newsroom, particularly now? Well, not now, but on, when, the, when the news has got the pandemic, you got the, the the racial issue going on right now. Do does everybody in the newsroom get into a conversation and a debate maybe about the news of the day? Well, actually, that happens like uh, I believe at eight o'clock in the morning, and then it happens again at two o'clock. So they have meetings throughout the day, kind of figuring out what the, the balance of the show is going to be. You know, whether we're going to get our full amount of time, especially at a time like this. You know, and and, it, and it's these situations where. As a sports guy and as a sports department, as a leader of the sports department, you have to realize that there are a lot more important things that are going on in the world. So you may not get your full time. You, you know, there may be an opportunity that breaking news happens. And obviously, we don't mail in what we do as a sports department. You know, we go in there, we, we produce for two thirty, three minutes or whatever it's going to be. You know, we don't mail it in, especially not at a time like this where some sports people are, are fans are, are, are begging and craving their sports. We're not going to mail it in ever. So we want our time, but we have to understand that a pandemic and the social issues that you speak about, you know, are going on that you may not get the full time. So, yes, there are meetings going on throughout the day as far as how to stack a show, what's going to be most important, what's to lead, what's this, what's that. And then we... As a sports department, we have our own meetings throughout the day, whether it's texting, calling, or whatever throughout, you know, for, uh, amongst ourselves 
to kind of figure out what we what we're going to do in our part of the show. Let me ask you this: do you, I mean, do you ever get into discussions amongst yourselves, uh, and to where it turns into a debate, where you get into an argument, maybe with the news anchor? Uh, no, not really. Okay, not really. Yeah, we our our thing is, I mean, we're pretty much us, you know, and 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 our our news director, assistant news director, they they rely on us, you know what I mean, and they trust what our judgment is. Um, yes, there are suggestions uh, that that are from the news director and, and assistant news director and, and some of the producers uh, of what we should add to a show. We may not think so, or we didn't think that it was that important, you know, especially with the time constraints that we have with all these other things. Don't forget, you, you know the deal. When, when everything was up and running, there was nine pro sports teams here in town. Right. And they could be going at the same time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you fit that into three minutes? And then have yeah. the other thing that, that someone else deems important. So it's always a challenge to, to do that, you know what I mean, and, and to get it right and to do the best job that you can. But we rarely have any kind of discussions with with uh, with news anchors or debates or arguments about about what's in the show. My, my, my good friend is, is Maurice Dubois. We go back all the way to WNBC when we worked together mm-hmm. uh, back then, too. So we talk about things, but never like a debate or, or anything like that. Uh, so you know, Dana, you, 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 Dana Tyler as well. She has input and stuff like that. We talk about certain things, but there's never been like a, an argument or, or a debate or anything like that. Yeah. So you never come walking in the newsroom going, "Did you hear what the president said this afternoon?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not really, man. <laughs> and again, and again, we are we are we're we're in our own bubble, so to speak. You know, we go in, we do our thing. We, talk to the, the newsroom and, and tell them what we're doing, what we have, what we're gonna, how we're going to uh, get interviews, how we're going to do this, you know, which has been really good during this time, too, as, as far as the Zoom meetings and things like that. So we've always been able to pitch things that we have. But most of the time, our stuff is just, you know, insulated. It's just us as a, as a sports department with some suggest, suggestions sometimes for our, from our news director, assistant news director, producers. Yeah, so you never, you never, Otis Livingston never uh, lets on that he's A, a Yankee fan, or a Met fan, or a Nick fan, or a Net fan, or a Giant fan, or a Jet fan. You never let on, right? Um, no, because I'm not really a fan of any of them. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love the teams that I cover, man. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but I grew up in Los Angeles, so I'm a Laker fan. I, I'm, a, I'm a Dodger fan. I, I, I was born in, in Orlando, Florida, so I'm a Dolphin fan. You know, so I have different, and, and you know, it, it's pretty cool when you hear people say, "Oh, wow, I, I always thought you were just fan. I didn't know you were." You know, so that that just shows you that I'm uh, not biased during my coverage. I am, you know, uh, for the teams that we have here, supporting them and, and doing my best job to, to to cover them for the public. And uh, so that's that's pretty encouraging. That's cool when I when I get to hear that because they, they just don't believe or or think that I'm I'm a, I'm a fan uh, to my core of, of other teams outside of our market. When when did you come from LA? When what, what do you mean? How old were you when you left LA? Oh 
guess. Okay, so you understand yeah. about being a fan. The, the obvious, there's always been a, uh, an argument. Uh, the best fans, left, left coast, right coast. Uh, LA, <laughs> LA fans show up in the seventh inning. Uh, they show up yeah. in the third quarter. Uh, New, the New York fans are diehards. They, they're out there two hours before the, you know, d- you know th- throw a light on the difference between an L.A. fan and a New York fan. Well, yeah, I believe that, you know, Los Angeles fans are, are a little bit more laid back, you know, not as intense. Um, Philly fans are really crazy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think Los Angeles fans are at, at times – kind of on a bandwagon type thing what's popular what's going right now oh Dodgers or whatever it is um, but I love it I, I, I love LA I'm from LA I, I, I wasn't that type of per, you know person or a fan I was oh man Vince Scully Chick Hearn hmm. uh, you know <laughs> that's what got me interested in first of all not only sports but broadcasting as well those guys were kind of my, my heroes you know that I would, uh, Jim Hill, I don't know if you know him. Sure. There in, uh, yeah, I know. Sports. I know he is. CBS out there, that, yep. that's a guy who I grew up watching and, and just like, wow, you know, pattern, not pattering myself after, but saying, yeah, you know what? I can do this. I, I can have that opportunity. It was so neat to, to finally get to meet him, you know, in um, CBS New York, he's CBS LA, so we'd be at Super Bowls or we'd be whatever, and he used my office one time when I wasn't here, and, and you know when he was when he was doing stuff from from LA. I mean, you know, uh, from New York for his LA station. And it's just been a blast to see you know that kind of thing happen. You know, come full circle. Guy that I really admired as I was growing up, and then being able to do the same job as he's doing and, and being able to achieve that. That was that was really cool. But you know, I, I love the passion of the New York fans. I really do. I think it's a lot of fun. You know, being able to go out there and, and they check you on it too. Yep. You know, you're not just going. You're not going to get a free ride out here. You know, they have their opinions, their strong opinions at times, and you have to deal with that, you know, and it's all good. Yeah, wait a minute. I think Jim Hill was in one of the Rocky movies, wasn't he? Yes, and I believe Stu Nahan as well. Yes, yes. He was another, yeah. I, I think Jim was. Yeah, he was. I, I, I definitely remember Stu Nahan. In fact, I think Stu Nahan might have been in, in uh, he might have been over in Russia with Drago. Correct. I think he, <laughs> yeah, correct. That was another guy who I really liked. So I think I was I was uh, kind of spoiled growing up with, with all those guys that kind of you know shaped my thoughts on sports, shaped my thoughts on the on the industry as well. You know, Chick Hearn, man, that that was my guy. Well, and Vince Cully. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, and and okay. I'm old enough to remember the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Vince Scully oh, began his career as a Brooklyn Dodgers announcer, along with Red Barber and a guy named yeah. Connie Connie Desmond. Um, I remember as a little boy going to a Dodger game at Ebbets Field and at the end of the game we were leaving and we were sitting in like at the first level but way back so when we got up from our seats we went behind uh, the press box area to get out of the stadium and the press box door opened and Vince Scully walked out and I remember I gotta understand I'm a kid I'm staring at him because I mean this is like wow it's Vince Scully that was a big deal, you know? Of course. Of course. This is the voice. This is the guy, you know, when you were probably listening to the radio at home, that was the guy, right? Yeah, well, it's it, incredible. I'll take it even a step further. Years later, I'm working, I'm doing a lot of games for CBS Radio, and uh, they sent me to do a Georgia-Georgia Tech football game, 
in Athens, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half from Atlanta. And yeah. that was when the Braves were playing the uh, Minnesota Twins in the World Series. And I called my boss at CBS and said, you know, we're only an hour and a half from Atlanta. After the football game, can my wife and I come to the booth? Uh, and so my boss, Frank Murphy, said, no problem, I'll set it up. We go into the booth, the CBS radio booth. Who's doing the game but Vince Scully and Johnny Bench? Oh, man. Well, I walk into the booth, and it's like an hour before the game. And Frank introduces me to Vince Scully. Do you ever get paralysis in your right hand as you're trying to shake hands with a guy? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm, hey, Otis, I'm telling you, I was in awe of this man, you know. But here, I mean, he, I said... Then I got to be honest with you. I, I've been a, a big fan of yours forever, since I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn. And you know, he says, "Hey," he says, I, "I've listened to you doing Monday Night Football, so uh, you can stop the hero worship stuff right now." I mean, you're oh, an, you're man. an e- you're an equal. And I said, "Oh, uh, no, I'm not." That that brings. Let me ask you one final question. Uh, Did you ever get ready to do an interview with somebody that you either admired very much or idolized? Have I ever? Yeah, man. Yeah. Magic Johnson. Oh, okay. That was the guy, man. It was... uh, I had seen... Obviously, I went to Laker games, you know, growing up and stuff like that. He was a guy. I'd also seen him on Venice Beach a couple times. Never really spoken to him that, but like I said, I, I don't know if I told you the story before, but Magic was the guy that kind of gave me an identity in basketball. I was not, as you know, all at all, I'm six feet tall now, but growing up, I was, I was really small. But when you have the ability to pass the basketball, be able to dribble the basketball and do things like that, you will have a, a court. You know, when we were playing pickup games, I was one of the smallest kids out there. In fact, I probably was the the smallest. And I played with older guys, but I was always one of the first guys picked because human beings, by nature, are greedy. So they knew if they were open or if they were semi-open, they were going to get the ball from me. So so, even though I was small, having that ability to pass the basketball, I think I was in fifth grade, sixth grade when Magic and Bird played in the NCAA Finals. So this is a guy who meant a whole lot to me. You know, uh, when he but about HIV, I was going to work, pulled over to the side of the road, and I cried. Oh. You know, that, my guy, you know. So to see him alive and well all those years later, it was it was very special. And he was just as nice, just as warm as he appears to be on television. And it was that was definitely one that did not let me down. Yeah, no, I've been in his company. He's he's all what you say and a lot more. Real quick, I, I go in the lake. I go in the Laker locker room when Kareem was still playing, uh, and I asked him for an interview, and he granted me an interview in the locker room. Uh, and we're both from Brooklyn, so we began. I found out that he was a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. Yeah. And so he said, "You remember the Brooklyn Dodgers?" I said, "Kareem." I said, "I don't know what you think you know about the Brooklyn Dodgers, but you don't know near as much as I do." We got into we got into a trivia contest <laughs> in the Laker locker room, and he says, "I got one for you. You'll never get." And he says, "In 1953, the Dodgers brought up two relief pitchers, and they pitched both ends of the doubleheader." I said, "Stop! I know it." <laughs>
He goes, no, no, you don't. I said, yeah, Carl Spooner and Roger Craig. He goes, he said, get out of here. <laughs> Hey, Otis, I, I got to let you go. I appreciate all the time you've given me, uh, and you stay safe, and, uh, and it's always great talking to you. Yeah, you too, man. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. Otis Livingston, good dude. Like him a lot. He, he's um, he's just uh, he just gets it. He just gets it. Now I got to go back and, and do uh, uh, my man Brian Mahoney, who <laughs> started doing an interview with, and. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm. Uh, I got all messed up before with Brian. So we're gonna try to square it away now. Hello, Brian. Okay, this time it's for real. <laughs> I know. I know, but I see. I, it's not easy for me to, to. It's like it's very easy for me to forget stuff, but it's not easy. It's it's never difficult to remember uh, things that that we like to talk about, and that is the restart, of the resumption of the NBA season. They're going to play eight games. Um, the only thing I, I and I don't know how you fix it, but like let's just take a, a case of Washington. They're in the resumption of the schedule. Well, they lose one or two games. They have no chance to catch the eight spot, but they have they have to continue to play games, right? Yes, and that's why people even wondered in the first place why they brought a team like Washington. Uh, you know, just kind of added extra people uh, for a very, very, very limited chance of you making the playoffs. And you know, now St. Louis' chances seem even much less when you're talking about not having Brad Beal, Burton. So yeah, it just you know, it, it doesn't. It, it, of all the things that they've done right here in the NBA, I think this is one that maybe they got wrong. Uh, you know, it's probably unnecessary risk in the first place. What would you do if if you were the one charged with the responsibility of resuming the season? Would you go right to the playoffs, or would there be games before? Uh, I think they needed some kind of games before, uh, one to get guys ready. Uh, it's hard to take this much time off and then just start with Talking with Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press, let's let's talk about um, the, the beginning of the season. It's going to be July 30th. Utah plays New Orleans, and I, the light bulb went off in my head. Uh, we want to get Zion on no matter what, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they, they, they took so long to 
want to see him play. If there's a way to get him <laughs> to, to give him a chance to do it again, uh, I'm glad they're able to do that part. Uh, you know, there's such an excitement around him, and, and he was playing great. So I'm looking forward to seeing it for sure. Same day, Clippers, Lakers, right out of the shoot. Yeah, and that you know that that's one for sure for basketball reasons. So Zion, maybe okay. The Pelicans are not the team per se that everybody needs to watch otherwise because they're a great basketball team. But yeah, Lakers, Clippers, uh, you know, that gives us everything. Uh, you know, two teams are playing great. Maybe the two best teams in the West, certainly, maybe in the whole league. Who knows? Uh, LeBron, Kawhi, everything you could ask for. So uh, that's a great way to get people back in there, and, and I'm sure that'll get you know massive numbers of viewers. Let's talk about the team, I, and I did a little research here, Brian. Um, Philadelphia has the easiest schedule, the softest schedule. Um, I, I think, do, do we think that Philadelphia underachieved this year? I think you could say that. Uh, but now they've got, they've got a, a pretty easy schedule. Uh, they're going to be in the mix some way, shape, or form. They're going to present problems to somebody, whether it's Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, whomever. It all centers around Joel Embiid. We both know that. Uh, And I think it's fair to say, have we seen the best of Joel Embiid? Yes, we have. But night on a night-in, night-out basis, right? concern beginning of the season, Brian, about the loss of shooters. They lose J.J. Redick, they lose Jimmy Butler, but they got a bunch of young guys that can fill it up from downtown. ask you about Brett Brown. I, I think he's a good coach, and, and I think whatever criticism there has been of him, I think is unwarranted because, A, of the injuries, and I know it's part of the game, but I'm wondering if the blame shouldn't be pointed to the front office rather than Brett Brown. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of that. I think he's a good coach. Uh, you know, I think he's had to deal with some things that, you know, are difficult when you talk about not 
time, uh, you know, having to worry about minutes restrictions that, that most coaches don't when you look at what they do bringing back Embiid and Simmons after the way they started their career with injuries. So, uh, you know, it's hard to just have a practice time, let alone game to game. So there's a lot that goes on there, uh, you know, and, and they haven't, look, they haven't always drafted the best guys. <laughs> you know, they, they missed major when they had a chance to get Jason Tatum and didn't. Uh, you know, they've, they've done some things that they had all those picks and didn't get them right. So, uh, you know, it's they could be a lot better than they are. Uh, you know, who knows how it all would have played out. But there's certainly, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, blame for the front office, no doubt about that. Let's look at the Houston Rockets. Uh, here's a team that uh, I think is what, in the sixth spot uh, in the West, uh, actually tied with uh, Oklahoma City for the fifth spot. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, there was some discussion about an extension that obviously is no longer a discussion. Uh, is he, has he coached his last season with the Houston Rockets? A lot of people think that way. Um, you know, let's we'll, we'll see what happens the rest of the season. But, uh, you know, I think there's – you know, maybe they, there's some feeling they got as close as they were going to get a couple of years ago, and uh, now they're trying to shift gears, and, and it hasn't quite worked out. They've been disappointing this season, but you know they're going to be a team that's interesting to watch come you know come the resumption of the season because they're going to be some guys who we just don't know how much they've played the last couple months. But I don't look at Harden as a guy who's taking time off. I I imagine he's been working on his game, and, and I kind of feel like when they restart, he's going to be somewhat near the kind of player he normally is where a lot of guys are not going to be and uh, you know I can see you can foresee Houston not looking like a, your average number six seed here uh, come in the July. I look at though we're talking with Brian Mahoney of AP uh, I look at um, a team like the Lakers and people say well you know LeBron's 35 years old been in the league 17 years this is not your normal 35 year old now look at his body look at the shape that he's in and I'm thinking that the four months off have probably did him more good than harm. You know, obviously you're right about the first part. Uh, you know, he's not, you know, you can throw out his age, how many years he's been, he looks and as sharp as anyone, you know, 10 years younger. Uh, how he's going to look when the season comes back, I, I'm curious. Uh, even for a guy like him, this has been so unusual. Uh, you know, he's been sitting at home with his family uh, when he's normally, you know, on the road playing with guys, you know, you wonder if just mentally he's been 100% committed like normal. I'm not going to rule it out because of how amazing he's been for his entire career, but uh, will we see the LeBron that we were seeing most of the season? Who knows? I mean, that's an unbelievable level to get to. Maybe he does, but uh, it's a challenge, even for him. They um, they have been a, a, a tremendous team all year, and the, uh, the cohesion that he and Anthony Davis have worked with has been something short of sensational. Everybody was concerned about their health. That's not a concern, uh, at least up to this point. Uh, Dwight Howard, there was a thought that he might not play. Uh, do, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, and, and that would have hurt them a little bit. He, he's done well for them in the, in the role he's had. And, uh, you know, it looks like he's committed to playing. And, and uh, you know, good for them because, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly going into this year, people kind of wondered, is he, still have it and he's certainly shown that he does he's been you know he's kept himself in great shape been a good teammate been a you know a good presence in that locker room and uh he will certainly help them going down there very, with the ex- very few exceptions brian very few back-to-backs <clears throat> so the conditioning of the players may not be as big an issue the way it would normally be during the season when you're playing three games and four nights and 
or, or four games and five nights, whatever, whatever it is. As you look at this current situation, you look at a team like the Clippers, who are very deep. Uh, that could serve them well in, in terms of allocation of minutes and so on to where the depth of their roster may prove to be the, the single biggest advantage that anyone has. You see Clippers, uh, Bucks in the in the finals. Now, you know that was where I had it going into the season, and I okay. think that's the way it is now in my mind. Uh, yeah. I do think I do think the way this season sets up now, I think uh, it benefits them. Uh, it brings out the most in, in the talent in that roster, and uh, yeah, if I had to make a pick going into it, I think that's the way I'd go. If if I was to look at a surprise, Brian, I would look at Toronto. They won fifty eight games last year. And if the season had continued, they probably would get to 58 again without Kawhi Leonard. I mean, is Nick Nurse not the coach of the year? I think he, he wins that for sure. And, and that's why I think they're so intrigued going into this. Uh, you look at just everything they overcome. And they're such a mentally tough team with the losing him uh, and then the injuries they had this year. And they, they just kind of shake everything off. Uh, they don't seem to let anything bother them. And, uh, you know, this is a kind of situation where it's going to be mentally difficult to challenge it. No, no one's ever faced before in the NBA, and the team has proven they can handle anything mentally. Is Toronto, so uh, I certainly give them a great shot to to kind of pick up where they left off and, and uh, be dangerous come playoff time again. Let's talk about the challenges that you have to face as a reporter. Uh, you, I, I guess you're physically not going to go down to Orlando. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, potentially for. Uh, for some, but definitely not for all. I, uh, that's all still being uh, all being discussed. So let's just say that you got to sit and you watch games on television, and you report. The problem is you don't get uh, access to the locker room, and, and that kind of hampers your performance, right? Yeah, you know it'll be interesting. They, they do have more and more resources now uh, available online than ever. Be it box scores and play by play, and, and uh, you know videos linking to. Uh, interviews and stuff like that. Um, and the interesting thing will be, guys, with no fans, we'll probably hear on TV sights and sounds more than ever. Uh, you know, the one challenge to always watching a game on TV would be you don't obviously pick up the nuances you pick up when you're sitting a few feet away. Uh, but when there's no other noise in the building, we may be able to hear all that. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be, you know, it, it's just obviously it's not going to be ideal. Uh, you know, we, you, your work is the best when you're there in person doing the job and, and uh, right now that's not the case but that's unfortunately what we all have to deal with in life right now this year we're not working from our offices or from anywhere else we're, we're having to work remotely and uh, you know you find a way to get it done and that's what we're going to have to do in this as well how long have you been covering the NBA now 14 15 years I think this is 15, 15? Uh, this is uh, the old 506 season was my first so 14 or 15 yeah it's certainly none like this how many times in your career have you sat courtside at a game or in the press box or someplace when you looked at a player and you went, wow? 
<laughs> well, you know, uh, probably a million times with LeBron. <laughs> you know, I, I used to say there was, there was nothing like, you know, now, now that they moved up our seats in a lot of places, we used to be right on the floor, and now usually we're kind of more toward the concourse level. Uh, but seeing how much bigger and stronger and faster he was than some guys when, when, when he decided it was time to play, uh, nothing like it. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been, uh, you know, an athlete that I'll see like him again uh, with the way he combined everything. Let me ask you this. And I put Westbrook in that category, too, a little bit, seeing uh, you know, him go end-to-end, uh, take a rebound and go, uh, you know, another incredible, incredible talent. I have never seen anybody go end-to-end like this guy dribbling to the basketball. I mean, he is like he's exploding out of a gun. He's incredible. Yeah, you, you feel like you could you know, run track if you wanted to and be awesome. You feel like you could play football, basketball, whatever. Uh, just an un- unbelievable athlete. And you're talking about the best athletes in the world, and someone to look better than the rest of them uh, just shows how really special they are. I've spent about 20-some-odd years calling games uh, either for the New Jersey Nets or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Boston Celtics and talked to a lot of players. Um, but in almost every case when I talk to a superstar, whether it was Michael Jordan or Magic or, or you name it, uh, they all had this air of confidence because they knew they were good. And I asked a guy yesterday who, who's going to be on my podcast tomorrow. You might know him better as a human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins. Uh, I asked him yesterday when we were talking, when you walked into a game knowing that you were probably the best player on the floor, did you start that game with an air of confidence or arrogance? He said confidence because I knew that I could do what I had to do and, and nobody was going to stop me from doing to get where I needed to get, uh, which I found refreshing because he showed a little humility and, and it, was, it was great to hear. Yeah, and to that extent, um, and I asked Willis Reed this question, I asked Bill Russell this question. When you started a game, uh, how many times in 82 games did you just take it for granted that you were going to win? And he goes, and both of them said the same thing, about 10 to 12 games a year, which I thought was kind of a low number. I would have thought more. But, yeah, they both said the same thing, about 10 to 12 games. That does surprise me a little bit low. I, I would have thought more than that, certainly. Uh How many times in your career have you spoken to an athlete after a game and you said to yourself, boy, I'd like to go out and have a beer with this guy?
take a little less time with the media, a little more time they can promote their own work. Uh, but earlier on, sure, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, just kind of like the chat. And uh, I'm having a beer with anyone. I would enjoy talking, you know, going out and talking basketball. That's uh, that's as good as it gets. So yeah, I probably probably quite a few times for sure would have loved to. Uh, and would you grow up? Uh, up in Connecticut, actually. Oh, in Connecticut. Okay, so I yeah, thought maybe I thought that for some reason you sounded like you could be a New Yorker, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been it's been it's been a lot of years here, uh, so that's probably true. But uh, no, I uh, I grew up just across the border in, uh, in Western Connecticut. Well, guys, so, so now you're picking uh, Clippers and Bucks in the final. Yeah, and you know I guess it's funny looking back. I mean that's why I picked this going into the season, and uh, you know <laughs> nothing seems now like it was then, but. Uh, I guess I'll stick with it. Uh, you know, like I say, I think uh, I think this is just a team, the Clippers, who is built to be able to take this kind of weird situation and and uh, it work out for them. It's not going to work out for a lot of teams, I don't think. Uh, but I can see them being someone who it does work out for. And, and uh, you know, the Bucks just, I, I think they're kind of loaded in a lot of ways and they have a big enough lead. I think they should be able to, to still get through the East. I... Um... I'm a bit of a romantic. I want to see LeBron James win it all. That would be a great story for the Lakers to, to do it this year. Uh, you know, uh, to overcome everything they had to come through and, and then, you know, the tragedy, obviously losing Kobe, uh, you know, how much L.A. has been hurting that whole, you know, team community out there. Uh, it'd be a great way to finish. And, uh, you know, for LeBron, would, you know, for what it does for his career, if you still have reason to argue his greatness, if he finds a way to win the title this year, in this situation, I mean, he, you certainly have to kind of uh, give him his due for that, for sure. Uh, so they would be, a, you know, it would, no matter what happens here, it's an amazing story. It's unprecedented. But, yeah, if it's the Lakers, uh, that would be something really special. I think a lot of people would look at it that way. Not not that it matters, but will it, the, the team that wins it all this year, will there be an asterisk in the record book? They, they will for some people, Howard. I don't think that's avoidable. Uh you know, I, I look at it like this. I've said before, this this whole year is an asterisk. Uh, you know, we have kids getting their diplomas who never went to school after March. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is different here. And uh, the NBA champion, yeah, it's going to be won in a different, different manner. And sure, if we go back and LeBron gets hurt in the second game of the season and then, you know, the number seven seed wins the title, sure, people are going to say this never would have happened if the season played out the way it was supposed to, but this is the way it is, and uh, it's going to be a challenge to win the title, and uh, whoever wins it, I'm not writing it off for sure, and I don't think anyone else should. This is be a, a worthy, worthy champion, no matter who gets it. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, uh, last thing i got to ask you. Away from the NBA court, what did you think when you saw that Patrick Mahomes got a half a billion dollars? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I heard? I, I went on sportspages.com in the Kansas City newspaper. It said it was a cap-friendly deal, and I went, what? <laughs> what? So, I mean, he doesn't get it all this year. <laughs> $477 million of it's guaranteed. <laughs> it's good of him to worry about being friendly on the cap there. Right? <laughs> Uh, Brian, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Stay safe.
Thank you, John. I appreciate it. He is Brian Mahoney from Associated Press. That was fun. I like talking to guys that have a good sense of humor. They can see things. Uh, you know, they treat their job with respect and dignity. And then they go ahead and, and do their job. That's great. It's a lot of I mean, imagine that. Half a billion dollars to play football. He's good until he's 31 years old. Uh, what am I saying? Yeah. 30, no, th until he's 33 years old. He's 23 now. Half a billion dollars. Does he deserve it? Yes. It's not what you're worth. It's what you can negotiate for. And he had all the leverage you need to get where he got. Half a billion dollars. I remember doing an interview with Charles Barkley, uh, and David Stern just signed a new contract, going to pay him $25 million a year to be commissioner. And I said, what did you think of that, Charles? And he said, makes me want to be commissioner. <laughs> makes, oh my goodness. Half a billion dollars. The largest contract in sports history. Good for him. The guy's exciting. The guy's fun to watch. Can he win it all again this year? Why not? Why not? A couple of things concern me. I'm hearing about all people coming down with COVID-19, and it's got me concerned. It's got me concerned about whether or not baseball is going to get started, and if so, will it finish? It's got me concerned about basketball getting started and are they going to finish? It's got me concerned about the NFL getting started and is it going to finish? It's got me concerned about hockey getting started, Major League Soccer getting started and finishing. Are we preoccupied with our own enjoyment and entertainment and not understanding of the fact that it's dangerous? I'm concerned. I, I'm just wondering out loud, is the risk worth the reward? That's what I'm asking. Out loud for everybody to hear. I think it's great that we have this conversation to discuss it. And I'm just thinking, let everybody just be safe. Every day, we look at the news. 131,000 people have died from the pandemic. Millions of people around the world afflicted. So what we look for in our sports is small potatoes compared to what the bigger picture is. And we all recognize that. I um, admire talent, first and foremost. I love to see guys that can play, and women, that can play their sports at a high level. Yeah, and I don't want to eliminate women, not at all. From the WNBA, and there are people that have been stricken to professional tennis. I mean, I feel lucky enough that I, that I was alive at a time when Serena Williams was the best female tennis player in the world. A combination of power, athleticism, agility, Huge heart, incredible competitiveness, and there's the key. It's the common thread with all athletes. They have that incredible competitiveness. 
we saw the last dance with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And we saw the drive that Michael Jordan played under every single day. LeBron James has got that same drive. That's why I like the Lakers to win it all. And pro football this year is going to be interesting because a lot of moving parts have moved. Most notably Tom Brady. Cam Newton. The door swings open in New England. It swings closed when Cam Newton walks through the door. And I don't even know if he's had a physical from the Patriot doctors yet. The one thing there's a common thread between sports fans. We root for our teams and we boo our enemies. But the one thing we need to do above all is admire the talent. And there's a lot of it going on around. Tomorrow I have a very, very special guest. He's the human highlight film. Dominique Wilkins will join me tomorrow between noon and 2 Eastern time. I want you to stay safe. I want you to enjoy the day and think about how lucky you are to be alive as long as you follow the rules. Have a great day, everybody. I'm Howard David. This is Howard David Live. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube